Left, right, and center is what I was trying to say. And uh, Robert Metz, our regular gentleman on the right, is actually campaigning today, so uh, uh, it's inappropriate for him to be here, and he's not. And Jeff Schlemmer is doing whatever Jeff Schlemmer does when he's not here. So we have two, uh, I don't want to say fill-ins, because they're not fill-ins. We're pleased to have both of them here. Gil Warren has been a guest numerous times on the program, and uh, always interesting to chat with Gil. Nice to have you back. I'm delighted to be back. And Danielle Metz is with us here. Now, the, the last name is, uh, is somewhat similar. Is there any connection? Uh, yes, uh, Robert Metz is my father. Okay, but you're not here because uh, because you're his daughter. You're here because you are an eloquent spokesperson for many of the beliefs that he espouses. And uh, we thought that Danielle was a very appropriate guest to have on the program today. So there's no nepotism involved, folks. I I'd like to, and it's particularly appropriate, the, the topic I want to put before our two guests today. Uh, Danielle is very involved in the uh, the uh, community concern about the road widening on Springbank, and indeed about that, that kind of an issue across our community. Uh, and I thought I would like to follow up a little bit what we talked about earlier today because my guests have very strong feelings about this. This issue of individual property rights versus uh, uh, collective rights. And, and it, where the rubber hits the road on this one, again, to kind of beat that, that to death, uh, the metaphor to death. But here we have a situation where the collective, the community, as represented by its political leaders, is saying that uh, they need to take private property away from individuals for ostensibly for the good of the community the private property owners are saying well a that's we're not convinced that's a good idea and b we're not convinced that's what it's doing anyway because you have failed to prove to us that this is going to make a huge practical difference to the well-being of the community as a whole anyway so given kind of that context i i, I want to ask danielle to perhaps uh, because she is our our rookie here today um when you look at this as from the position of a, of a property owner, which you are on mm -hmm. Springbank, um, but you are also a member of the larger community, and, and, and as such, you, you, benefit from, you benefit from other roads in the community, you benefit from other, just not to put too fine a point on it, but other road widenings that make, maybe make your life a little easier, make it easier for the trucks to get to the grocery store where you shop, all of that sort of thing. So it's not just a question of your individual rights on Springbank, but you have benefited in the past from the utilization of these collective rights. Is it wrong, or, or, or if so, why is it wrong for the city to come to you and say, in the interests of serving the greater community, we're asking you to make a small sacrifice for us? Um, and here's a whole lot of good reasons why you should do that. What's wrong with them doing that? Well, for one thing, I take issue with the, uh, the concept of a greater community. They, they fail to define who that community actually is um, when discussing societal rights versus individual rights. Society is made up of individuals, and unless you protect all their rights equally, no one has any rights at all. You can't have rights as a group. Um, whether or not uh, they've actually proven that this will help is also in question, because it has been proven time and time again that when you widen a road, the traffic increases to fill the available space. Mm. And then you end up eventually, <clears throat> excuse me, in the same situation. <clears throat> well, let's suppose for the sake of argument that, that they could prove that riding this road was going to work, it was going to be effective, it was going to help the community. Would it change your, your position any? No, not so, at all. So it's not really about the efficacy of this plan? <clears throat> it's... <clears throat> Okay, I'm going to shift to Gil. <laughs> okay, can we get, get some can we get some water for Danielle? Gil, I want to shift to you then here. The, uh, um, this idea that Danielle says that there really are no collective rights that all we have is individual rights you don't buy that no i don't i don't buy that we all we all have collective rights and we all have individual rights and and it's about a, bal a balance that we have to strike between 
between what's good for us as, as an individual and what's good for the community. Now, in this case, I have some sympathy with the environmental argument. I'm an environmentalist, mm -hmm. and so I just question the city widening roads all over the place. But if you've got a case where, where one house needs to be removed because there is a very good reason to do that, then I support that. And I think that the community as a whole, the majority of people who, through democratic elections, have the right to make that decision. But who decides whether it's a very good reason because I think this is part it's of Daniel's It is point. subjective and, and that's part of government is that um, sometimes there are no clear-cut answers and you have to go with the most evidence that you have that this is for the good of the community for the for the greater good and sometimes you're wrong but you have to make a decision one way or the other but you're the guy that lives in that one house Gil mm -hmm. Warren lives mm -hmm. in that house mm -hmm. I can't believe that you're gonna that if you lived in that house you'll be quite so sanguine about this say well it's for the greater good and maybe we'll make a mistake but maybe we won't no no because uh, we have elected those people at City Hall, and they're there to make a decision. And but, but should they have? I mean, we've also granted them the right to do that. That's not a that's not a God given right that government has. We've should we have granted them that right in the first place? I think so, because you have to you have to make these decisions as a community. And yes, I would be upset as an individual, but I would have to get out of my individual thoughts and say, well, let's look at the good of the community. Oh, come on, Gil, I know you'd be you'd be up and down the front of your house with placards saying this is wrong. They shouldn't be doing but this to. Maybe them. if I if I opposed it from an environmental perspective and in fact I have great reservations about these road widenings like I, I think that uh, I'm in fact um, being in the East End I was involved in the campaign against the widening of Adelaide Street at between Thompson and, and Hamilton Road I'm they're doing it now I'm still opposed to it I don't think it was a good idea um, and I don't want to divert the issue because into the environmental issues no. but but I think in this case the city is making the wrong decision about widening these roads and I agree with Danielle that what happens is the more you widen the roads the faster people go and they fill up but we have a process here where the city has uh, the authority and the power to do that. And, and I will even accept that they're making a bad decision. Well, let me tell you about Lou, who phoned right. me this morning. Lou's a friend of mine. Lou listens every day to the show. He lives on Adelaide, five houses north of Thompson Road. They have expropriated his front lawn. The road will now run, as he says, right almost up to his porch. Mm -hmm. Lou's 77 years old. He's lived in this house for 55 years. And your community rights have said to Lou, well, we don't care about that. We don't care. Basically, we don't care about your quality of life, Lou. You know, tough noogies to you, pal. Here's 20 grand for your front lawn. Shut up and leave us alone. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I... <laughs> it's, it's no different. Yeah, it's no on. different than London Life and the life insurance business. If I get killed, they pay out twenty thousand dollars. I mean, that's what workers' compensation pays if you're killed. You know, and that again is outrageous that someone's life's only worth twenty thousand dollars if they're a factory worker. But that's the going rate for a dead factory yeah, worker. Yeah, but we're not talking about dead factory well, workers. Or, we're we're or, talking about community people, community rights here. Yeah. The, the thing that you're espousing, which is these these community rights. These collective rights, they're saying to Lou, here's 20 grand for your front lawn. We mm -hmm. don't care whether you like it or not. Yeah. And I agree that Lou's quality of life will, he, first of all, he's too old to move, and, and his quality of life will go way down. I mean, his, he, he steps off his sidewalk and he's in the middle of the four lanes of traffic. Also, I mean, how does Lou get across the street? You know, he used, you know if he wants to visit well, the, his neighbor, the, the, he's going to get run over. The collective, the collective doesn't care because, right. because their needs have been met. Yeah. They don't care about the individual. Yeah. yeah. And see, I would argue that. The collective has the right to do that, but they're making a mistake in the sense that uh, they should be looking at uh, bicycle travel and they should be looking at carpooling and all kinds of other streetcars and public yeah, but transit. Yeah, it's kind of a, they're kind of this yeah. kind of non sequitur. There, you're still, still let's still come back yeah. to Lou. Yeah. You're still saying it's okay yeah. to do that to Lou. Well, I argued when they did Adelaide Street uh, that there was all kinds of very good working class housing in there that was at jeopardy 
once they cut off their front lawns, there's a good chance that the house will be torn down and they'll put another Tim Hortons up there. You know, it'll turn into another strip mall. And that, uh, those, that housing, affordable housing, was needed. I think you can make the same argument on Springbank as well. We're going to pause for just a second. We'll be back with Danielle Metz and Joe Warren, my guests. And we've got uh, Walter waiting on the line. And we've got room for you, too, at 643-1290 here. Joe Warren and Danielle Metz, my guests today on Left, Right, and Center. And we're discussing the, uh, the relative, how do I put this? the philosophical strengths of individual rights vis-a-vis collective rights. And uh, in London right now, it's been brought to a bit of a head with the road widings, but it's really about much more than that. Uh, Gill has made the point that uh, the collectives should have some rights to, uh, to uh, supersede the rights of the individual when it's in the, the benefit of the collective as a whole. Danielle says, no, you can't do that because the collective really is individuals. And if the individuals don't have rights, how can the collective have any rights? 643-1290, we'd like your thoughts on it. And Walter joins us. Hi, Walter. Oh, good morning, Jim. Yes, sir. Uh, I've always had a comment about the London traffic. Well, Walter, we're not really talking about traffic oh. this morning. We're talking about this issue of rights, individual versus collective. Well, I'm not, like, I'm not in favor of somebody losing part of the property. However, I do believe that London has to expand and promote and have a better arterial system for the traffic. Well, how can you do both? How can you say you're you not in favor? Both, but what you do is re- minimize the interference in the one and you develop something that doesn't have as much interference and go right to it. How do you do that in, in London's case? And I well, want to come back to my pal Lou again, because there he is, 55 well, years London in his house. London is an older city. Streets started, they were very narrow. But now our traffic is expanding at such a high rate, there has to be some changes made. So how do you, comp- how do you accommodate, well, you though, the individual rates? That's all there is to no, it. No, no, but how do you, that's not what we're talking about. How you, do you, you detour away uh, okay, from uh, where the bottlenecks are going to be. Away from the people, then? Away from where it's going to hurt the most people. But you're still going to hurt some people, so it's still okay to hurt some people. Uh, That will probably have to happen because our traffic is going to increase. All right, fair enough. Walter, thanks for the call today. Take care. Tony's up. Hi, Tony. Hi. Uh, You know, uh, this has gone on for for ages, you know, but uh, uh, I am a renter, and this is what I've done all my life is rent because I don't want the heartache that these homeowners, uh, property owners, because there is no real uh, private rights or, or ownership rights. No, there aren't. And I would go ballistic if that was happening to me. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I just say, uh, you know, uh, you, you have to live with it. It's just one of those horrible things. But do we have to live with it? I mean, you know, we could make the decision as because a community that we're not going to do this the anymore. The community is this monster that has its own way, and you just can't fight it. And you just have to get on, on the other side of it and win when, you know, uh, when, when, you know, you're going to have a lot of things that you're going to be happy with mm-hmm. when the community does. Mm-hmm. You just have to, uh, you know, you win some, you lose some. You take the bad with the good? Yeah. Okay, thanks, Tony. Okay. Danielle, I want to ask you about that. Is it a monster? Is the collective a monster? Well, I don't think there's actually such things as a community. We're not looking at the power of the community. What we're looking at is the power of the government, and we have to make that distinction because they are the ones who are acting on behalf of the community or the individuals who elected them but they are the ones who are actually doing this to people it is not the community and they don't have the right to take people's property they have the power to take people's property it's an important distinction to make um, I don't believe that anyone should be, should have the right to do that based on the fact that if you can do that to somebody you can do it to anyone and by defending property rights you're defending collective rights or the rights of the rest of the community to their own property as well. All right, we'll be right back with more on this edition of Ready Ryan Now.
Left, right, and center. Joe Warren and Danielle Metz with us on this edition of Left, Right, and Center. We've been talking about collective versus uh, individual rights. And Daniel, you made the comment just before we broke for spots there about if they can do this to one person, they can do it to anybody because mm -hmm. they don't necessarily have the right, they have the power. Gil, now I know you, you are very concerned about government's misuse of power and that's yes, a very sensitive yeah. issue with yeah. you how do you reconcile the idea that the collective the rights of the collective such as they may be or the needs of maybe the needs is a better term the needs of the collective should be allowed to override the the, the needs or the rights of the individual isn't Danielle right when she says you know if we let them do this one thing to this one individual, then what's to prevent them doing some other things to other individuals? Well, I think as, as citizens of London, we all are uh, vulnerable to having our property expro expropriated. Uh, uh, and as the Tony noted, if you're a renter, you don't take that risk. You know, you, it's a trade-off. If you want property, you're going to then have a risk of it being expropriated. But I think that the the city government is not a collective monster. Like I've dealt with city hall for 20 years. I've run for city council. I haven't been elected, but I've been involved in many local issues. Mm -hmm. And I actually find that they're fairly responsive. If you can get 300 people to pack the gallery, often they'll change their mind. But is that a good thing? I mean, 300 people out of 300,000, is it good that you can pack the gallery with 300 people and change their minds on well, an it, issue? If it's a neighborhood and it shows that the people, the majority of people in that neighborhood are upset about an issue, it's it's a responsive form of government. Like I find city council far more responsive than say the provincial or federal government mm -hmm. where they're tied down by party politics and mm -hmm. whips and everything else but maybe we could change the 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 focus of the discussion a little bit better so the the audience could understand it let's get away from traffic and say talk about floodplains and, th and that's a better example well, like, that'll excite them yeah no but no you it, will see just give me a All second right, and you'll okay. see how it works okay All right. uh the city of London has been buying up houses that are close to the river because of the danger of those houses being flooded out in a big flood that happens every 50 years. They work with the Conservation Authority. Yeah. And, and again, there's the argument, well, the guy can buy his house and he can sit there and wait for a flood and he can drown in the flood and that's his right to do it. Okay? Mm -hmm. On the other hand, the community might have to pay tremendous costs to rescue him. Uh, if there is a flood, and uh, and be liable for damage. Oh yeah, but like wait, a, hold everything now. Then when we shouldn't be allowing them to build any high rises in either, because what if there's a fire in a high rise? It costs us all this money to buy these special uh, uh, trucks with the big tall ladders on. Them. But we did have a big flood in London in the 1930s. Yeah, and we Bosch didn't fire. have Fanshawe Dam either. That's right. That that's right. That's right. But we still have a policy in London in, at City Council of buying up floodplain and turning it into parkland. And in many cases, it needs to be in a downtown area. There needs to be more parkland anyway. So. So there's a case of balancing off the interests of the pro property owner. And in many cases, like 10 or 15 of the property owners will sell, and there's one left who yeah. doesn't want to sell. Yeah. And sometimes the city waits until that person dies, or they wait until uh, they're willing, willing to sell. But isn't that a more appropriate thing? Why don't they do that in all cases? Well, in floodplains, it's an individual risk to the individual homeowner, whereas if the house is still sitting there and the road's done, you're crashing into the house. You know, it's a little bit different. But, but, uh, but I think it's right for the community to say to an individual, you know, you say you have the right to stay in this house and there isn't going to be a flood, but we have the statistics that show that every hundred years there will be a serious flood and your, your life is at risk. But they don't have those statistics. There are no such statistics. Oh yeah, Upper Thames does that. They, they know the hundred year storm that's coming through. They can figure out in a so, hundred years. So for every hundred, because of something yeah. that might happen every hundred years and hasn't happened yeah. since we built this dam, we're going to strip this guy of his individual property rights. That doesn't make sense to me. No, but uh, it's not just that the dam could fail. There, there's the South Branch that is not as well controlled in terms of flood control. Uh, that's their job. The Conservation Authority's job is to figure out the flood problems, and, and the city is pursuing... Well, these are the same people who said about that house that they wanted to move over. Some people wanted to move over to Labatt Park, that Beaver mm. Beaverbrook cottage, mm -hmm. that said, no, we can't move it there because it might get flooded and destroyed. 
But if, mm -hmm. we don't, if it doesn't, it's going to get destroyed if it isn't moved. But their rationale was, no, if you move it there, we might have this 100-year flood, and it might get destroyed at some future date, so we can't do that. I mean, this is the rationale? This is the kind of people you're talking about? This is their job as conservation people. Well, then they're, to, then they're and, highly and overpaid. They're not. Whatever they're, they're getting paid. They, they may make mistakes, but... They're trying to function in the public good and no, the collective seriously, good. they are. You're right. You're right. Yeah. And I'm, and, I'm, take, I'm kidding. Yeah. Them. And, and, and that what they screw up too. I mean, sometimes somebody tries to do something with their property in a floodplain, and it just turns into a bureaucratic nightmare as they try. But again, to do something you know, it. if if we take away, jump in here, Daniel. If we take away the uh, the argument that gee, we might have to spend some money to rescue them, we might or might not. They might be smart enough to leave when the water gets up to their ankles. What other reason do we have for, in, in using your example mm. again, what other rationale do we have for saying to this individual, you, you, you don't have any rights to that property anymore, we're going to take it away from you because of a 100-year flood and we're worried you're too stupid that you won't leave when your feet get wet? But what if they're killed? I mean, what if, you well, know, what if they are? What yeah, if they are? Yeah, but we, it's, it's a question of public safety. But and, people, that, then yeah. maybe, you know, everybody should, you want to come to public safety, mm. everybody should, in driving a car should be forced to wear a helmet. Okay. We'd save yeah. thousands of lives a year in this on North America. No, they're if, forced. If every driver, seat belts is what they have no, to wear. no, no. If every driver was forced yeah. to wear a helmet, a proper safety helmet, yeah. we'd save thousands of lives a year in North America. Well, I haven't seen the studies for that, but I've seen the ones for seat belts, and there was a big controversy about that about about the individual right to get in a car and not use a seat belt versus the collective good of ha having re incredibly reduced medical costs mm -hmm. for, for car accidents. And again, our society has accepted that you have to wear the seatbelt or the cops will give you a ticket. All right, let's go back to the phones where Diane's waiting. Hi, Diane. Hi, Jim. Hi. Yeah, I've just been sitting here listening to this, and um, they're talking about, oh, you have to wear seatbelts and helmets and everything, but what about people pushing baby buggies on the street? What about them? And, well, I mean, the cars could jump a curb, especially in the wintertime. Good point. They could, yeah. Should when they're that, that close, there's public schools there, there's a high school there. Not everybody drives. Uh, they do a lot of walking. Where are these baby buggies? On the sidewalk? Yes. Okay, leave them there. I, I, that's a freedom that I will support. The, well, what the if right the, to be at your But what if the car buggy? jumps the curb? I mean, you've got as much yeah. chance of that as that 100-year flood you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. where do you draw the line? Well, I, I think that uh, it's different between, there's a difference statistically between the baby buggy going by at the instant that the car jumps off the curb and living in a house for 50 years. Your odds are much higher uh, well, in the house. I'm not sure that's true. I'm not sure. Well, you'd have to get your the statistician was here. Your insurance guys to figure it out. But, uh, Diane, well, it's a good point you raised today. And not only that, Jim, but look at how many houses have been run into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, think about that. <laughs> There's a couple in my neighborhood. That right. happens too much regularity. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Okay, Tom's up next. Hi, Tom. Hi, Jim. How you doing? I'm fine, thanks. I find myself in, unique, in, in a unique position uh, today because usually I find myself on the, on the right side of the argument, and, and here I'm, I'm disagreeing with the, with the right side. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the community rights have to over, overrule the individual rights in this kind of a situation. I'm going to specifically why, though. Why? Well, because otherwise uh, nothing could ever get done. I mean, people could argue, well, you can't put the airport there because the planes are going to come over. It's going to disturb my quality of life. Yeah, and, but the people in that community then voluntarily would have chosen to pay the price of not having an airport. Right. They would have to do without the convenience of the airport. What's but wrong with them making that choice? Because the other 290,000 people in the city would also have to do without having the airport. Yeah, but again, so what? Well, again, that's why I say nothing would ever be accomplished. I mean, you could you could argue it to to the ridiculous in in the fact that we all pay taxes that go to road improvements. We all pay taxes taxes that go to education. Mm -hmm. If a person doesn't have children that are going to school, they could argue, well, why should I pay those taxes? It's well, not benefiting you, but, me, sure, but you an know, individual. 
Yeah, okay. But we all have a responsibility uh, as, as a member of the community. And uh, with the, the example you used of your friend Lou, uh, I think that the fair thing to do would not be to say, Lou, here's $20,000 for your front yard, would be to say, Lou, we're going to pay you a fair price for your house. We're going to pay for uh, the cost of, of, of moving you to another house. And what about the 55 years of memories that you're leaving behind? Are you going to pay for those, too? Well, you know, I, I think I, you should. I'm not, trying, I'm not trying to be, you know, cold and callous here. No, I'm no. saying that there's 300,000 people in the city. Uh, anyone who's ever been in London will admit that the, the traffic system is, is a joke. That, uh, oh, come on, Tom. It's not that bad. Come on. <laughs> I, I, my, my office is in the northwest corner of the city. Yeah. I can be in Sarnia faster than I can be in White Oaks. Yeah. But why, why do you live in White Oaks? If your office is... I, I don't live in White Oaks. I'm saying if I want to go to White Oaks, it, it's faster for me. I can get to Sarnia faster than I can get well, to White Oaks. Well, I'm going to tell you this right now. I don't know what you're driving or how you're driving, but I can sure as hell <laughs> get bike. from the northeast part of the city to White Oaks a lot faster than I can drive to Sarnia. No, northwest part of the city, Jeff. Well, the northwest this, part. This is the, again, I mean, what it comes down to... When you talk about the traffic in London, as I understand it, the, the traffic planner for Kitchener-Waterloo originally proposed the same plan to the city of London and was dismissed that so we would never need it. Well, again, I don't want to get off onto traffic, because that, that's really that's, not what we're doing. But see, that's why I'm saying that it, in this particular case, the needs of, I mean, uh, I, I get very frustrated where certain individuals' needs are, are looked after and other individuals' needs aren't. A perfect example is Windermere Road. You can stand at the end of Windermere Road and see the end of Gainsborough yeah. Road. And the reason it's not connected is because of the neighborhood that, the, that that road runs through. Well, that's part of it, but there's also serious environmental concerns about that. Which could be alleviated by an overpass or some, well, some form. How are you going to build the thing? I, I don't want to go there. No, anymore. no, but all I'm saying yeah. is that the individual rights, we all are members of a community, and we all have... Well, you know, Tom, I don't disagree with you, and I'll, I want to come back to Lou, because Lou's a great example. What I think should happen with somebody like Lou, and if, if, if Gil's right and you're right about these collective rights, then, then I would say, okay, what we need to do with Lou is we need to say, Lou, we've we, we got to have your house, pal. We've got to have it. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to pay you the market value of the house. What? We're going to pay all your expenses. Right. And we're going to pay you $100,000, $300,000 for the inconvenience and all the lost memories that you've got in there. Now, if we did that, which I think would be the reasonable, fair thing to do, you know what would happen, don't you, Tom? That road wouldn't get built because the right. people of London would say, we're not paying that. Right. We're not going to pay that. Screw Lou. We don't care about Lou. And again, I think that would, what, what would be fair, you know, just if you want to use the number, what would be fair? And uh, you, can't, you, you can't go to the individual, uh, you can't go on an individual by individual basis because Lou's been there for 55 years. Yes. His neighbor might have only been there for five years. Yeah. So if you say for, you know, the, the discomfort of having to force you to move and, and so on and so forth, we're going to pay you the fair market value plus 10% or something of that nature. Oh, that's kinda, you're come on, off. that's kind of chintzy. <laughs> well, let, let me jump in here for a second, okay. because when the city was originally planning the Adelaide Street uh, uh, widening there, there was discussion about taking out the houses on one whole side, of yeah. buying the entire yeah, house. Yeah, but they, they would only, the, the point I'm trying to, they would only have paid fair market value. The point yeah. I'm trying to make is... There should be more, I agree with you, it, Jim. It, there it, should be more for the for pain and suffering and inconvenience for older people. But the collective would not support that. If, well, they if, should, if to the, be fair. Well, they should, I don't know about yeah, should, but I'm telling you, if that happened, if that bill for Adelaide had been $300,000 a house to mm -hmm. buy those those $100,000 houses and to compensate those people for their loss, the people of London would have been screaming to And they might have just ended up paving the road, <laughs> which is what they should have done in the first place. But there's another, there's another issue here as well, and it's class differences between neighborhoods. And uh, what you'll see is that if it's a working class neighborhood, 
it's easier for the city to get that road widening through because the people there have less financial resources, less connections in the community. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to widen the road on commissioners between Warrencliffe and Wellington... You can hire Dan Ross. You can, yes, you can get very expensive lawyers. You can drag your feet for years and years, and that's the last road widening done in the city. So you got to look at, and again, this is as a politician, if I were a city politician, I'd have to say, are we being fair here in terms of ramming this through one neighborhood? Same thing happens with garbage dumps as mm -hmm. well, right? Ramming this through one neighborhood and letting the other neighborhood off the hook or delaying it. But and that's precisely why you have to have individual rights and protect them so that kind of class differential does not happen because then everyone's treated equally. But it is happening in London and it has happened over and over yeah, again. Yeah, because we yeah. don't have individual rights. No, but the unfortunate we have collective thing, rights. The unfortunate thing is that you, you have to recognize that regardless of, of, of what uh, rules there are to apply, the bottom line is there are human beings applying them. And the bottom line is that, that human beings are going to have biases and are going to be influenced by one, one person or another or what have you. So, yes, in a perfect world, you'd say this is the way it is for everyone and, and this is how it will have to be. Uh, we have to try to build towards that perfect world, but I think we all have to also recognize that... Um, but, we, but, we try, but, Tom, we do that. We try, we've tried to do that. That's what our criminal code is all about. That's what our laws are all about is to try to remove that, that element of, of personal randomness there, that, that, that element that allows... Uh, uh, arbitrary, being arbitrary. Uh, exactly, arbitrary uh, ac actions or activities on the part of our elected officials. But, the, but the, it will always be there. There will always be streets that, whose snow will be cleaned first because of uh, who lives there and the connection and so on and so forth. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying we have to recognize that well, I'm not, I that's reality. I don't think that it is reality. I don't think we should recognize or accept that. I, just I didn't don't say we it. should accept it. I'm well, not I'm not saying we should accept it. I'm saying that the, uh, the, the discussion today is about community rights versus individual rights. Yeah. And my, my opinion, for what it's worth, is that we all are members of the community and we all therefore have a responsibility. And sometimes some of us are going to be asked to do things that we would choose not to do as an individual, yeah. but we have to do for the good of the community. Why do we have to do it? That's the, we're back to the same question. Because, again, if we didn't do it, if, if we didn't have to do it, Things would never get done. All right. Thanks there for the call, Tom. Okay, Appreciate thank you. Appreciate it, sir. Uh, Bill's been waiting. Hi, Bill. Yes. Yes, sir. Uh, I was uh, listening to this here guy nattering about the floodplain land. Yeah. He wasn't nattering. He was making a point. Well, he might have been, he might have been making a point to you, but he's nattering to me. Okay. Okay? Uh, when uh, General Steelwares wanted to expand their plant down there uh, quite a few years ago, yeah. they, they wouldn't let him expand it, and the kind of was flood floodplain land. Yeah. Now, they have a great big strip mall on uh, just this side of the bridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, which don't make sense as far as uh, the uh, the uh, outfit that uh, governs the uh, floodplain land in, in, uh, in, in London. Yeah, I, I, I think I can explain that. Uh, it's the Natterer here, uh, Gil. Uh, what happened was they, they changed the rules. Um, they used to say uh, that the floodplain had to be uh, a lot the line between the floodplain and the rest of the city was way farther up uh, the road sort of thing. And then there was pressure from developers because there was a lot of undeveloped land that was sort of on the borderline. So they changed the definition of the flooding from something like a 100-year flood to a 50-year flood. And that allowed a lot more land to be taken off the maps of the floodplain zones. And that's probably what happened at GSW. I know that happened in some subdivision development. So again, it was a question of, uh, in the 50s and 60s, they had a, a tougher definition. As Jim said, probably they took into account the, the fact that Fanshawe Dam is there and things like that. So they reduced the area that had to be protected. Uh, also, uh, with this uh, widening of the roads, 
the uh, and Spring Bank and and, and all different uh, sections of the city. Uh, when they do this, uh, they don't advance. They don't uh, have the the lights. Oh yeah, that's yeah, but that's that's where you're really getting way off topic here, Bill, on that one. But I appreciate your call today. Now listen. Yes. Okay. I'll give you a little. For instance, I live up in the north end of London. Now, what kind of a we're talking about collective versus individual rights? Is that what you're going to give us a for instance? Yes, sir. About? I am. Okay. Fire away. All right. Uh, Cheapside, as you know, uh, years ago was wasn't a full uh, through street. Right. Then they brought it out and they they run it up as far as uh, Highbury Ave. Then they turned around and they and they uh, run it through to Clark Sider, which is good. But my own my own area, from Bowley Street to Adley Street, the speed limit, well, but the the well, no uh, speed limit at all. So I put took it upon myself to have a four-way stop put on on uh, on our corner. Yeah. The city says no. I got a hold of I got a hold of my alderman, yeah. and we fought and fought and fought, and they finally put one in there. Yeah. Now where we live, there's a, a medical center at the corner, okay? Yeah. Which gives the people a chance to get uh, to get off the bus or, or across the street. Right. We also had uh, people that uh, 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 were blind. Bill, you're confusing me here on how we get to collective and individual rights out of this story. I'm telling you that uh, if it wasn't for the individual rights of some people, uh, well. All right. Well, I appreciate the call, Bill. It's good to hear from you today. We've got a lot of people waiting want to get back to them, and we have to do this, too. Uh, we'll be back after these messages. Left Brain Center, Danielle Metz is with us. Uh, Gil Warren is with us. We've got callers waiting. Danielle, I want to come back to you just for a second here because uh, Tom was making the point earlier that if we allowed everybody to have their individual rights whenever they we want they wanted them that we wouldn't get anything done that a handful of people would be able to say no you can't put an airport in my city is there not some danger there well you can look at it that way but you also have to take into account that what you're looking at especially in regards to road widenings is that we have to live with the consequences of our actions and if we're seeking to drive our cars all over the place we have to put up with congestion and we have to put up with a certain amount of inconvenience for our right to drive a car. Mm -hmm. And we can't let these rights, our right to drive a car, infringe over the rights of the people who live along the roads we drive. So we're making a decision that I'm going to drive the car, but I have to take whatever comes then, basically. Yes, exactly. Uh, let's go back to the phones where Les is waiting. Hi, Les. How you doing, Jim? Fine, thanks. Um, oh, just one quick comment about a previous caller. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I just note from it, I think... First of all, the line of traffic problem, I think, is blown out of proportion a little bit. You're right. I mean, yeah. you can get from anywhere to anywhere in the city in 18 minutes. Yeah. And, uh, that chap that can get to Sarnia as fast as he can get anywhere in London, if he could fax me that route, I'd really appreciate <laughs> I, it. I think he was taking an airplane or something. I, yeah. If not, you know, I hope police out there are going to get them guy and going to get rich. Yeah. They, um, anyway, the... Um, um, as far as the, it's all from individual perspectives, and, and I think, unfortunately, I don't necessarily agree with the ability for the government to come along and take and, and appropriate and so on in all cases, but you have to look at them piece by piece um, as a perspective. And I, I think, unfortunately, that comes down to the term that it's the price of progress. Um, if we want to have, as, as was just said by Daniel, if we want to have all those cars and we want to have all that traffic and that's what we want to do and live with, I mean, we have to be prepared to pay something. 
Uh, but we're not paying it. But the the, the my as, concern, as an individual, sorry. Yeah, my concern yep. is though, Les, that that if if you and I and a whole bunch of other people say, well, we we want to exercise the right to drive our car, mm -hmm. and that means that Lou's going to lose his, his front lawn, mm -hmm. that uh, that that's okay. That we we you know, and your line was we have to be prepared to pay the price. Well. You and I aren't paying any price. It's Lou you know who's paying the price. You know what? You you made a reference this morning to something, and, and I just this really drives me nuts. Um, we've talked about it before, you and I, about this drawing the line in the sand, as it were. To, and and your question this morning in the beginning of the program when you opened up was, where do we draw the line? Well, you know what? Doesn't make any difference. Um, what happens is the will of the people or the power of the the greater the greater community is going to uh -huh. carry its will. What's and the will of the you people? You can draw the line no, but, anywhere but, you want. But less, what's not the, gonna stay there. What's the will of the people? What is the will? And let me let me give you yeah. an example. Here. How did he define it? You mean? Well, yeah. Let me give yeah, an example. Yeah. Our province is now being run by a government that was elected by less than a majority of the people in Ontario. So right. is that government? Right. And so was Bob Ray's government, for that mm -hmm. matter. And so was David Peterson's. Mm -hmm. So did, is that the will of the people? Does the government represent the will of the people? No, obviously not. So where is yeah. the will of the people? I don't know it, and and it gets down to a common will because the will of the guy next door to me is not the same will as mine. Mm -hmm. And so there's your. How are you going to define that as a common will? Well, the, the other than the other protection than, then is to say that your rights are equal to his and equal to everybody else's. I and think there is so. No, and there is other, no greater yep. collective right. Um, I I don't know how you're going to define that. I suppose it's just like that line in the sand. I think you remember the joke I told you about the guy keeps drawing the line in the sand. The soldiers keep coming at him. All of a sudden, there's a line in the sand, and he's falling over the back of a cliff, and he's lost the whole thing. Mm -hmm. but the point of it was. There was a lot more guys on the other side that kept backing him up, and I suppose if he had enough guys on his side to be able to push the sand the line the other way, and I guess that makes you a definition of uh, of democracy. It's going to be the greater number of people either that vote or express their will, or like you're always saying, get out there and say something yeah. and do something yeah. if you have a concern. You know, Absolutely. and uh, yep. yep. Les, thanks for the call. All right, bye-bye, Jim. Jack's up next. Hi, Jack. Yeah, hi, Jim. Yes, um, I would uh, like to see a definition of rights here, because I, well, as I understand it, a right is something you have regardless of anything. It cannot be removed for uh, any reasons. Uh, the other things we're talking about are interests, and I think... Um, the collective, if you're talking about collective rights overriding individual rights, uh, that's all the, a collective right can, can mean. I've heard Bob Metz continually ask Gil Warren or Jeff Schlemmer to name one collective right. I mean, even collective bargaining is the right of individuals to bargain in a collective. I don't believe that uh, if you have individual rights, like a right is something that's supposed to be absolute or else we don't have it. If the collective has the right to overrule individual rights, then we we don't have those individual rights. I've heard Gill say he's a great defender of individual rights, but I don't think he seems to understand the concept. And I'd just like to ask him, can he name one collective right? As a factory worker, I have a collective right to bargain a collective agreement. And it's Do you not have a right as an individual to bargain collectively? No, it's a difference between I and us, or I and we. You are what, not a collective. What, yes, you are. If you're in a factory and and there's a hundred workers there and you have to negotiate with management. But again, but, but it's yeah. not it's not to say that your individual rights are in there with the group. But you it's don't have that a different thing. It's you don't have right. that. That's not a right. That's not the kind of right that he's talking about. We have it under under, under the Ontario Labor Law on a piece of paper. Yes, right. Yeah. We have a we have a right. What I want to make is fundamentally we have no rights. Nobody has any rights at all. You don't have any because the guy next to you's got a bigger stick than yours. He does what he wants. 
our, our rights devolve from our, collect, our collective, if you will, decisions that we want to provide collective protections for individuals, right? Well, we don't have any. There's no such thing as a God-given inalienable right because the guy next door with a bigger stick can take that away from you anytime he wants. And that's why we have governments and exactly. laws and charter of rights and everything else exactly. is to try and establish rights. But you're right. It's, it, it, there could be a military coup in Canada tomorrow and all of our rights are gone. Whatever rights we have are out the window because some guy with a a bigger gun than the other guy is now in charge of things. So we ha that's part of democracy. We have to struggle constantly to, to maintain our rights, both as individuals and collectively. And see, I would argue that co collective groups have rights as well as individuals have rights. And that's a completely different concept from you saying, I have individual rights within the collective. And I say that the collective has rights. But should the, collective, should the collective's rights have any more power, to use Danielle's term earlier, than an individual's rights. Well, I, this is where the balancing comes in, because you have to make sure that the, the majority of people within the collective, and it can be defined as the hundred people in the factory, or all Canadians, or the people of the world. I mean, there's different definitions of collective. You have to balance out those collective rights with an individual right, and not stomp on the individual. On the other hand, the individual can't sit there and hold up the collective. So you're, you're part, part of democracy, a big part of it, is doing this balancing act of figuring out uh, what is the collective right? How can we do what we want to do without impinging too much on individual rights? And, well, and I understand that the out. definition of a, of a right. It's a it's something you have regardless. That's why it's called a There's right. Nothing you have, There's nothing you have regardless. <laughs> Jack, you don't have a right. If I come over to your house tonight with a big baseball bat and say, I'm going to do such and such, and you can't stop me, you, you, you don't have any rights. Sure I do. No, you don't. Sure I do. No, you don't. I still, I still have the right. You can infringe on that right, and you can take away my ability to exercise yeah. that right, but you cannot remove that right. The right doesn't exist. The right exists only in your mind. Or until the police get there. Well, one if of you other. believe that, then that's uh, the, one of the problems we have, and that's why we can't protect individual rights. If, if a collective can override individual rights, then it's a fruitless conversation here. You're not talking about rights at all. You're talk The responsibility we have as members of a collective mm -hmm. is to protect individual rights. And if we don't exactly have right. that, that's we don't have a I'm fundamental basis that's for That's the society. point I'm trying to make, though. I'm not suggesting that the concept of rights is not a valuable one. What I'm saying is that we, it, it all does come back to balance. Because your individual rights, although you can say I have the right, you can you can infringe my rights, you can take my right away from, or you can you can prevent me from exercising it, but I still have it. You're, you know, that's an intellectual concept, and I grant you the concept. But the reality is that without the support of some element of that collective, enforcing your rights becomes impossible. Well, uh, rights are the moral concept that subjects society to the moral law. Yeah, I don't. And if we that. don't have individual rights, then we're uh, subject to the whim of the mob at any time, and there's no rules to guide us. All right, Jack. Thanks for the call. Take Thank care. You. We're going to be back right after this. Danielle Metz and Gil Warren with us on this edition of Left, Right, and Center. Gil Warren and Danielle Metz with us on this edition of Left, Right, and Center. We've been chatting about individual rights and the collective rights and property rights and so on and so on. Um, Danielle, what's going to happen on Springbank if they build the four lanes? I mean, you, you live there. You, I guess you pretty much have to get used to it, do you? Well, it's going to uh, City Council on Monday. They just passed it through ETC last night. And then uh, expropriation and negotiation of property comes up in the next two years. And then, But the, the, the key issue here is that they took... 31 meters right of way is what they want to build this road in. So no matter how wide the road is, they still want the full extent of property. Mm -hmm. And so there's nothing to stop them from coming back in the future 
and building whatever they want. But how does that? How different is that? Although the extent of it is different, but where I live, for example, the city owns 34 feet from the center of the road, so they've got about 20 feet of my front yard. I mean, they, in theory, they could put an expressway there if they wanted. So why is your situation any different? Uh, because we live on what's known as a designated arterial road, which means it handles uh, east-west traffic at a higher volume, and they use it to to. Uh, to cut down the cut-through traffic through the residential neighborhoods on the side by funneling all the traffic through our neighborhoods. So would it, be, would it be more fair if they said to you, Danielle, here's the deal. Um, this has been designated as an arterial road for some years, but now the crunch has come and we're going to do this. You have every right to stay here and we'll, we'll compensate you for what we have to do to take some of the, some of the lawn and so on. Uh, we understand that, but we're going to do it. But you know, we really suggest that you sell us your house and move somewhere else. If they were going to pay a reasonable price for that, is there anything fundamentally really wrong? So we're not impinging. You can stay if you want. We're not going to argue that. Obviously, you can. We're just we got to take a little bit of your lawn. But at, but at the same time, in fairness, we will buy your house if you want to sell it to us. Well, I'd prefer if they made that offer, but that would. Uh, raise the cost of the project exponentially if they had to do that to everybody along the, the side of the road there. But uh, what I want to know is how they're going to determine what the fair market value of my front lawn and tree is based on... There is no market value to a piece of property that small mm -hmm. outside of what they're looking at, so I don't know how they're even going to well, they begin gave, to decide Well, they gave Lou $20,000 for his front yard. Uh, he had a lawyer, did he not, I believe? Mm, I don't know. Um, I don't know how they came up with that arbitrary figure either. It seems like they're just pulling figures out of the air to work within the cost of the budget that they have for this road widening. Gil, uh, I guess the last word to you, as it, tur as it turns out here, um, and, and again, you've, you've said that you're not convinced that that particular road widening is a good idea, but is there, would you be opposed to a situation wherein somebody like Danielle could say, I, I do have the right to stay here, and if you want to, you can't take my front lawn. You can take the whole thing, but you've got to pay me for it. Would there be anything wrong with that? Well, I think the city still should have the right to take part of a lawn if that's all that's needed. But I like the idea of offering to buy the whole house. And, and because, I mean, if you can really dis destroy your property to have the, the road running right down you know, outside. Couldn't the we use it for low-income housing? Why doesn't the city yeah, buy and use it for low-income housing? Yes, they could. I mean, and, and, and people could rent, and when they rented, they would know what they were getting into after the road was widened. So that so. wouldn't be discriminatory see, against I, people of lower incomes to uh, put them in uh, those places? No, I don't think so. I, I also think that if you raise the cost of road widening, that's actually a good thing, because then it makes viable alternatives uh, um, like bike riding and bike paths and public transit uh, more economic. If, you, if, if I would like to see the cost of road widening be higher with things like you have to buy the whole house. Mm. So that we're forced to face the real... Do you have any I think you would that? get a better balance then. Danielle, is there anything wrong with that? Making, making the community face the real cost of doing this? No, but I don't think it would make any difference in the long run because the money we're spending is taxpayer dollars and nobody really sees it and you're not looking at it's not actually coming out of your pocket you don't even see it on your property tax bill it just goes to a general pot so mm -hmm. we're not talking about specific individuals money we're talking about a general pot well, that's part of the problem too all too often thanks to both of you for joining us today it's a pleasure Gil it's always nice to have you here and Danielle I hope we get a chance to have you come back again well, thank you very much this has been uh, the latest edition of Left Right and Center I'm Jim Chapman Danielle Metz and Gil Warren have been my guests in this part of the program on tomorrow's show well, I've been away for almost a week. I don't know what's on tomorrow's show, but you join us tomorrow. We'll all find out together. How would that be? Um, I'm sure Kathleen has lots of interesting things lined up for you. 
Uh, in the meantime, we remind you that coming up a half hour from now, it is Ask the Experts with uh, with Chris and uh, Rob from Financial Strategies Group. They'll be in to answer all your financial planning and strategy questions on Ask the Experts. And we still got our nice prize this week, although uh, fewer qualifiers, because there's fewer days in the week, so your chances of winning are even better. So make sure you join us a half hour from now on Ask the Experts. In the meantime, for Danielle and for Gil and for Kathleen and Ryan and the whole staff here, please take care of each other. Mind how you go, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.